10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from London, this is the Sunday Morning Breakfast Show with Sobia Iqbal on Teachers Talk Radio. Good morning. You're listening to Sobia Stella Sunday. It's Sunday the 13th of March. It's Sunday the 13th of March. We have the best conversations coming your way. Does teacher coaching lead to school improvement? Does the reality live up to the hype? And what models and methods should we be using which have the most impact? It's another thrilling morning. Prepare for takeoff. Live from London, this is the Sunday Morning Breakfast Show with Sobia Iqbal on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash lsw slash TT Radio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. I'm joined by Pure Class today and I'm very, very excited to have the fabulous Yamina Bibi with me discussing coaching with us. We have lots to say, so stay tuned. I've been off air for almost six weeks now. I have lots of projects and work being done. So unfortunately, something had to give way. uh, And that meant taking a step back uh, from the station for a while. I am, however, joined by the fabulous Yamina Bibi. Now, Yamina Bibi is an innovative assistant head teacher who thrives on developing others through mentoring and coaching. She helps to support women to become middle or senior leaders. She has led coaching programs and trained over 30 coaches at all levels as teaching and learning leadership coaches. She also trains for the DFE um, and is a resilient leaders coach as well. Now, coaching is being adopted by ECF providers and MAPS because, as we know, research states that a third of all teachers leave the profession within the first five years. And doing so provides effective, sorry, doing so means that um, effective support is essential uh, because we are losing good teachers and it is a drain on financial resources across the profession. And coaching can help um, with the professional journey that we are all on at different levels. So Yamina, welcome to the show. Can you hear me? Hello, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. How are you? Very excited. I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. I'm I'm very excited that you're here this morning and I just wanted to thank you because I have been on Twitter and <laughs> watching that you've been at Women at Unconference coaching all weekend. So thank you very much for coming onto the show. No problem. I, I was saying earlier that I was a little bit tired, but um, sometimes women at events particularly, but particularly yesterday's Women at London event was so energising and inspiring that I was buzzing from it yesterday. So I've kind of woken up with this buzz um, as well. So thank you for having me on. That's OK. Can you just uh, explain to us what happened yesterday? Because I'm, I'm intrigued to know what you guys were up to. 
Yeah, so what we try to do annually is have a Women in London unconference, and we call it an unconference because it's a grassroots project where a range of people get to speak, essentially. It's not just a couple of keynote speakers and that's it. Um, people invite themselves to speak, and so it's a space for both experienced kind of women and community leaders, but also for new voices. And we were celebrating International Women's Day and Break the Bias was obviously the theme for this year. And it was hosted at my uh, school, Sarah Benal School, and Ray Potter, the head teacher, were just wonderful with hosting it there. It was just such a fabulous event. And it started with you know, Ella Dove as a, a keynote speaker um, and ended with um, Genesee, who is the first female black CEO of a mat school, ending and closing the event with numerous kind of experienced and new voices sharing their practice sharing why women can break the bias and, and women are amazing in education um, and we also had Booker Yusuf who had organized coaching so people were actually able to women were actually able to be coached um, by experienced coaches including myself um, it was just such a fascinating day just such a yeah brilliant brilliant day to be at Sarah Benal, my school and just celebrating the the brilliance of women and that sounds fascinating because obviously there are lots of women um, who do opt for coaching. Mm. Um, I, I know I'm doing coaching. I have opted for coaching with the Academy for Women's Leadership and I have, I'm doing instructional coaching at the same time. Um, and there is this tendency for women, especially to get stuck at middle leadership roles, mm. isn't there? And mm. not being able to progress into senior leadership roles. Can you just explain a bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So we were talking about this yesterday, actually, that what happens, particularly if we look at the intersectional identities of women, actually, um, you know, you have women getting stuck at these um, middle leadership levels because it's very operational. Um, and that's, you know, women are amazing at organising, at do, getting things done, doing things really well. And, so, and unfortunately, the barriers mean uh, that we have in education at the moment mean that women get stuck at that level. You know, particularly, um, I was doing some research for the Diverse Ed book, actually, for my chapter, not for my subchapter on this. And women, um, if you look at the number of women who are leaving education, that between my ages, so 30 to 39, and they cite workload, they cite you know, actually lack of promotion. And they cite the fact that they are, there's a gender pay gap because they're going off having, you know, children and then coming back. And unfortunately, there is, it feels like, they feel like they're devalued. They feel like there's no space for them. And when they apply for those promotional um, leadership positions, like senior leadership positions, what they face is unconscious and conscious bias um, because, oh, but, you know, you, you'd be more into looking after your children right you know these are the sorts of conversation when I was doing the research for the subchapter for diverse ed were the things that women were telling me that they'd been told um wouldn't it be better for you to look after your children or you wouldn't want senior leadership would you because you're going to start a family I mean I faced that myself um when I got married um a colleague of mine said to me you wouldn't expect that in a professional environment absolutely. would you <laughs> also where a professional with 75 percent of the sector are women yeah um, and that's the thing sometimes you know what we're facing is these barriers and biases about what women can do why can't you be a mother and be an epic senior leader I know amazing women who are doing both um and it's those biases that are holding women back and they're saying it they're telling you know as part of this this book you know they were telling me they they know that one of the reasons why they didn't get a promotion was because they were they were a mum or they were they did get a promotion because they weren't a mum you know they 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 didn't have um children and that was one of the reasons they did get a promotion I mean it was some shocking shocking stuff 
that woman was saying. And I think I've advocated for coaching for so long because I've seen the power. For me personally, as somebody who was actually quite shy, quite reserved to, you know, yesterday standing on stage in front of, uh, you know, a, a room full of women speaking. And that's because coaching has done that. It's allowed me to see the potential that is within me. And actually, Women Ed and the DfE's Women Need Education Coaching Programme, when it was funded, you know, introduced me to Booker Youssef and Hannah Wilson um, and Vivian Porritt. And those women have been so important in my own development into senior leadership because, you know, a couple of years ago when I was a lead practitioner, I just didn't think I was capable of doing it because I'd never seen anybody that looked like me, sounded like me. Um, and I didn't have this, I don't feel like I had the support network, but coaching provides you with that support network. It provides you and allows you to see things that are beyond your current state and it allows you to see yourself in the future and work towards that. And it's just, I, I really believe it's so powerful. And I think it should be, and I've always argued for this, it should be an entitlement that every, it's a provision that every school has in their school. Um, it shouldn't be something that women are seeking out, although it's great, organisations like Women Ed and Bay Med and, you know, Diverse Ed and LGBT Ed and all the Eds are providing that coaching for intersectional identities. But I think that should provision should start at school, in school, in-house, free. And can you, so then can you explain your role? Because you've actually set up a system within your schools that you've been teaching mm. in I'd like to know um what your definition of coaching is for you mm. um and how has it worked in your context so um would you like to know my current role or would you like to know just generally current. my yeah current. my current role is assistant head teacher but I'm in charge of progress and outcomes which is actually very new to me uh, because anybody who knows me knows that my experience and expertise is in teaching and learning and coaching and assessment um so this has been a really different role for me but what i've loved about this role is using you know exploring student progress and exploring outcome and how we can help teachers get better to be able to impact on student outcomes actually um and so my my current experience and my current role is assistant head teacher in charge of curriculum impact um, and that's its definition but zooming in on that you know teaching learning and coaching and professional development for teachers and leaders is is my background um obviously I'm a women in network leader as well and the resilient leaders element consultant and an experienced coach and I actually came into coaching as a result of a couple of years ago so I work at Cerebral currently it's a bit of a squiggly line for me in terms of my career um, and I used to work at Sarah Bernal a couple of years ago, actually, as a lead practitioner in English. And one of the, the best things I did there was I, I was able to, they provided in-house coaching with Mary Phillips, who was part of Vision and Vendor. Um, and her, just meeting Mary Phillips then, um, back in, God, 2016 now, she trained us, uh, us up because it was a program that was there at the beginning. Um, and... Actually, once we'd been trained up, we did this two-day, two-weekend training course um, all about coaching and training us up as coaches in-house. And then there was nothing. Um, and I remember going to my deputy head teacher at the time, Fiona Morris, and saying, oh, what's going on with coaching? And I just love it. Fiona Morris said, well, you're a lead practitioner. Why don't you just lead on it? And I went, oh, yeah, OK, yeah, I can do that. That's great. And that's how I kind of when it got into coaching and I did lots of research around it and I got to work with Mary Phillips on training. By the, by the time I left Serebino the first time, that was in 2018, we must have trained about 25 coaches in-house. And it's a legacy. I'm really proud of it. It's a legacy that's still going. And it's led by Keila McDonald now at the moment. And she's brilliant. 
and that's the legacy of coaching but when we embed it if we do it well it's going to impact on all those all of those people um and in terms of i hope i'm answering your question sobia because i can talk about coaching forever um <laughs> you are so just, go for it uh, so just yeah carry on <laughs> with the coaching um that mary phillips introduced it's non-directive so i'm going to call it pure coaching or some people call it executive coaching or business coaching I'm not sure about those words but in terms of pure coaching it's non-directive it's listening to understand rather than listening to respond it's really different from mentoring although mentoring does come into it sometimes but it's really allowing giving people space the coaching space to reflect um to really elicit the brilliance within them that's mary phillips's motto and i've just run with it really um hi mary if you're listening she's amazing um <laughs> Yamina, can i just um absolutely. i um sorry no. so i i'm on an instructional coaching course and we'll come mm-hmm. on to this in a in mm-hmm. a moment about the different models we have for for uh coaching mm-hmm. but andy buck his um definition for coaching is that it's a one-to-one conversation mm-hmm. that focus on focuses on the enhancement of learning through increasing self-awareness and a sense of personal responsibility Mm -hmm. where the coach facilitates the self-directed learning of the coachee through questioning Mm. active listening and appropriate challenge in a supportive Mm. and encouraging environment and I agree with you coaching has been around informally for a a number of years because um, you know I've been in the profession for a long time and at that time we were doing something similar but it wasn't Mm. formalized in the way that coaching is Mm -hmm. now being taken up by um mats and uh, mm. and you know by ecf providers um and coaching is also a highly effective professional development pra- practice mm-hmm. uh, according to accordingly et al in 2015 uh, when they did their research uh, and they provided that but i think I think it's you've mentioned the difference between coaching and mentoring mm-hmm. because you have to use them both in a continuum at different times. Mm-hmm. Can you just explain a bit more detail about when coaching is more appropriate and when mentoring mm. is more appropriate? Because even within the same conversation, yeah. you can have different elements taking place, can't you? Absolutely. And I think, you know, there needs to be a really clear difference between what the profession now calls instructional coaching and which is what ECF kind of models um, is based on is based on instructional coaching and pure coaching pure coaching is really non-directive and yes you do kind of um, go into elements of mentoring so if you were to be mentoring mentoring is about experience so the mentor themselves has experience in that role they've got experience of doing that thing that they're mentoring the mentee on so sometimes it's really directed with mentoring they're telling you what they need to do, what you need to do because they've got the experience they know that this strategy is going to work this time this is going to go work really well you as a mentee go and try it and then come back and see how it's been implemented and you discuss it mentoring is also about instructing it's also about giving advice sometimes it's about offering guidance and that's not to say that coaching isn't because as you've said you know sometimes we do have to dip into mentoring because the key thing about pure coaching is we say that the, the brilliance is within and the solutions are within the coachee themselves and the job of a coach is to elicit that brilliance it's to find that brilliance and help the person come to the solutions by themselves by asking pertinent questions um it's really listening to understand rather than listening to respond which might some may argue is what mentoring is um really what i love about coaching and why it's slightly different to mentoring in some sense is that as a coach you're asking questions to raise an awareness in your coachee 
an awareness of an answer that might already be there. And it's interesting because somebody I was coaching yesterday as part of the Women in London event said exactly that. Oh, yeah, yes, I know the answers inside me and I knew it all along, but I didn't realise and you've just helped me get there quicker because you've just asked me some questions. I didn't tell the person the answer. The answer was already there. Well, with mentoring, you know, because mentees might not have the experience, say if they're an early career teacher, they've not seen that problem happen or occur in their classroom before. They not, might not know what the solution is because the solution has, it's not in their schema. Whereas a mentor, it's already in their schema. So what they might say is, hey, you know what? I've tried this strategy before. Go away and try it, see what impact it will have and then come back and tell me about it. And then, oh, I might come and observe you. And so it's, I think it's really important to distinguish between instructional coaching and pure coaching and then um, kind of pure coaching and mentoring because they do... They're very similar, but they're also quite different. And there, I mean, there are different models, uh, mm. like you've just said. Um, instructional coaching, for example, the reason why that came about, I think mm. there was Sam Sims that, uh, at a Research yeah. Ed 18 conference, uh, which actually gave evidence saying that um, 10 out of 15 um, schools saw significant positive effect with Absolutely. the fact that instructional coaching uh, provided. And and the reason why is that they outlined six different points that firstly, it was individualised, it was mm -hmm. intensive, it was sustained, focused, context specific and offers uh, and encourages self-reflection mm. um, and that part of that instructional coaching comes into changing the culture of the school exactly. um, and collaborating you know within teams to ensure that you're all working collectively um, and one of the things that I came across was uh, an article written by uh, Professor Lofthouse and Trista Holwick mm -hmm. and they said that like you just mentioned, there are lots of coaching models out there. Mm -hmm. And we're going to go through a few more later on because I've got some others as well. Mm -hmm. um, the thing for leaders to be aware of is that they say in this article that bespoke coaching is important for the context that you're leading in. Mm. Um, and it's also important to have regular engagement. So she talks about um, Hargreaves and O'Connor's research from 2018 saying that conceptual framework of collaborative professionalism is necessary for school improvement because mm. it contributes to deeper relationships and the solidity of collaborative um, outpour using precise protocols. And I found that very interesting because sometimes what happens in schools is that you do have a, a practice of coaching mm. but people sometimes forget and then they don't continue through with it mm -hmm. and then you come back to it at a later stage and there's no consistency and that mm -hmm. can be detrimental right absolutely and I think you know I remember when I first when we were talking about Sarah Bernal there wasn't a culture of coaching there was Mary Phillips and she was brilliant but actually what people believed um was that coaching was for somebody who was on their way out you know it was a performance coaching it was for somebody who was about to leave the profession who was about to get kicked out of the profession let's be really blunt and um it was a taboo it was it, I remember telling somebody that I was being coached and they said, but you're a lead practitioner. Why are you being coached? Because there was such a taboo even five years ago around what that meant. And I do think that that's changing now, particularly with, you know, pure kind of coaching or executive coaching, as well as instructional coaching. Um, but you need somebody to drive that. You need somebody to know what success looks like. We need to know what will success look like when I've embedded this culture, when I've established a coaching culture in my school. What does that look like? And, and that's why I don't think it's... It, it always works in some schools because they they haven't really envisioned 
what it will look like in practice. Because some people, for example, um, again, I, I remember talking to some leaders in my school and they said, oh, yeah, on the MPQSL course, I had coaching, inverted commas, but it wasn't really coaching. They didn't really help me. And I, I thought that was really uh, important and interesting to hear because then what's happened is they've been through these inverted commas coaching programs, part of the you know MPQs, for example, and actually it hasn't been what they thought it was going to be. Whereas with with this program that we've established across kind of few schools, I've established a few across few few schools. It's really clear about what what the vision is of the program who it's been targeting, what the different aspects of the coaching programme will look like and how we're going to continue evaluating the impact of the programme and how we're going to promote the programme. You know, all of those things, essentially change management, right? Using the change management models, like the Cotter model, for example, to really think about coaching and establishing coaching. Because what you want is if you've done that well, it's a legacy you're leaving, you know, it's a, it should continue even when, when I've left the building, even when I've left the school, it should continue if I've done my job well as a leader who's leading on coaching. Um, I hope I've answered that. Yeah, I mean, one of the questions that I, I've been thinking about a lot, mm. and I'm pretty sure that there are other leaders out there thinking the same thing. Um, you know, everyone keeps saying that it has to be bespoke, uh, mm. uh, bespoke coaching based on the context that you're in. Mm-hmm. It can be very difficult you know, for senior leaders, for some senior leaders to understand their context clearly. I mean, for example, I'm going to just give you a basic, uh, an issue that I've seen in various schools. You walk into a school and you can quite clearly see that the senior leadership team and the middle leadership team do not collaborate properly together. That communication isn't there. The trust that there should be sometimes isn't there. Mm. Now, how can we get to a stage because in order for effective coaching to to take place and Mm -hmm. this is actually taken from an article from the chartered college of teaching they they actually say in their article that it's not coaching isn't something that can be taken from a toolkit training Mm -hmm. manual and just applied to any school just like that you need to give time you need to give training compassion trust Mm -hmm. and honesty um from the leaders about their context but sometimes leaders they, they sometimes don't understand their context so how would we deal with that in the first instance um train them on what effective coaching looks like um so when i was establishing it at forest gate community school we i mean myself and steve gillett who's an experienced coach as well essentially trained people on the t-grow model and the basic model and we started with slt we started with our effective middle leaders or our associate senior leaders we started with our lead practitioners because they you're right if i think it's about credibility as well you know, you can't, I, it's really important with coaching that the coaches that you're training up are credible, credible in, in the eyes of, of the school community, because mm-hmm. without that, you've, you've lost it already, because nobody wants a coach that they, they don't think they can trust. That's the truth of it, right? If they mm-hmm. think, oh, that person's going to go somewhere and tell, so I've had a really confidential conversation with them, and I've been open with them, and I, I, but I don't trust that they're not going to tell somebody else because the, yeah. the key thing about coaching is that it's confidential unless yeah. it's safeguarding consent. It's confidential. So you are able to open up about your problems. There's a problem you've got. You've got a goal that you might be working towards. And if you don't trust, and trust is the pinnacle of every relationship, right? It's a key thing, I would say, in every relationship. So if we don't build that trust, and trust comes from credibility, I believe, and integrity, then 
then we've got, so we've got to be strategic about the people we do train as coaches at the beginning mm-hmm. um, because otherwise your you know your innovators and your early adopters won't come on board and yeah. that's what you need and so there are sometimes uh, another thing that happens in schools is that I don't think that some senior leaders truly understand coaching properly. And then what they try to do is they try to link coaching to performance management. Mm-hmm. Can you please explain to everybody why coaching should not necessarily be, be linked to performance management? Because coaching is so varied. As, as um, Dr. Lofthouse says, you, essentially what coaching is about, it's personalised for that person. It's personalized, focusing on a goal that they're working towards. So for so for somebody, they might be the goal they might be working towards is managing their workload, because then that's going to help elicit the brilliance within them, and it's going to open up other potential kind of strengths in them. Um, for somebody else, it might be leadership coaching. They're looking for a promotion from middle leadership into senior leadership, and they want that's the goal they're working towards. And through your coaching sessions, you're going to work towards that goal. So it's going to be very bespoke to that person Um, and I think it's really important that we again are really selective at the beginning of a coaching program when we're establishing coaching about who those coaches are going to be to be able to build that and it is important that the person leading on it has integrity too and I know that's really hard to to say but it needs to be a school leader that is energizing that is exciting that will get people excited and on board. And, and that's with any change management, you know, model, a- any change management theory talks about that, you know, you need someone who's going to energise it and is mm. genuinely invested, also knows their stuff. And, and I'm not mm. saying that I know my stuff, but what I'm saying is, you know, it's really about somebody who's qualified and is seen as someone yeah. who in, has integrity and credibility because coaching is all about credibility. Um, it's why I chose, you know, Bukhi Yusuf as my coach at the beginning. It's why, you know, Hannah Wilson is my coach at the beginning because I, I know that they're credible, experienced coaches and leaders who are going to support me towards my goal. And that's exactly what they've done. And if we do coaching really well, then what happens is somebody like me goes around telling everybody about the amazing Bukhi Yusuf <laughs> and the amazing Hannah Wilson and the amazing Angela Brown. And that's, that's the power of coaching because... What you then have, and and again, what I would say is when you're establishing coaching, yeah, identify who your early adopters are going to be. So don't don't force everyone to do it. Start with a small group of people. Uh-huh. And the way I did it is I went round and I and I knew the kind of people who'd be really like really wanted a space to have conversations about their development, who wanted a space, a safe space to have conversations that, to work towards their goal. So I, I went and approached them first and I said, look, I'm thinking about this coaching program and this is what it's going to look like in, in action. You'll get six um, sessions for free as part of this with a quali- you know, qualified, somebody who's trained up as a coach. You know, they might be doing the role that you're aiming for already. What do you think? And it's going to be a safe, confidential environment. And by starting with those early adopters, it works really well because Again, it's word of mouth. With coaching, so much of it is about how people mm-hmm. promote it. So I, and yeah, that, sorry. that's okay. Um, I like this idea of collective responsibility because, mm. um, you know, you, like you said, early adopters are really important when you're mm. trying to uh, push through a uh, new new change ma- when you're trying to go through change management mm-hmm. and I think one of the problems um is that unfortunately there are a lot of uh, older members of staff who can be quite cynical sometimes mm-hmm. uh, because they've seen it they've been there they've done it um, I'm included in that because mm-hmm. <laughs> obviously I've been in it for a long time um and one of the things that um 
it is important is this whole idea of working together collaboratively and um, mm-hmm. that is collective autonomy so we can get to a stage where we're becoming uh, leaders within our own right mm-hmm. within our own teams mm-hmm. um, and the fact that um, it, it does take coaching a long time to develop and embed within their uh, in their practice Mm -hmm. uh, especially if you haven't got the time because Mm -hmm. time is obviously an issue for uh, teachers within schools so the reality is that we know that coaching underpins high quality teaching and learning um, and there is an ongoing cycle of school improvement especially if you've thought about your coaching um, provision beforehand uh, exactly like Yamina was saying earlier Um, and also uh, the fact that you have to be a reflective practitioner I mean we all had to do that when we went through teaching training we Mm -hmm. all had to make sure that we were reflective practitioners and uh, you know over time we become uh, set in our ways because we know what we're teaching and we don't uh, reflect as much as we should Mm -hmm. Um, but these conversations are really really important and I agree with you it should be in every school because some of the best schools that I've worked in have had those relationships between Mm -hmm. line managers which have been informal coaching but now we're talking about um you know, getting middle leaders to a place where, you know, they can be honest with Mm. each other as a middle leadership team, but also with their line managers and themselves, because sometimes there are those barriers that, you know, accountability, performance management, and things like that come into place. And then Mm. people do struggle with that. So um, one of the things that I found with coaching, based on my, my observations, is that it helps middle leaders to eventually challenge existing systems based on evidence. Um, Because sometimes uh, I find that sometimes middle leaders uh, are not confident enough to do that. Would you agree? I don't think it's that they're not confident enough to do it. I think that going back to psychological safety, I've been talking about psychological Mm -hmm. safety a lot this week, I should say. But I do believe it's about psychological safety. And again, trust Mm -hmm. really comes into that. You know, Stephen Covey's Speed of Trust is a brilliant book. I would highly recommend it because he talks about these four cores of credibility. And part of that is about integrity and honesty. and, And credibility is part of that. You know, we really need to be sure that there's psychological safety in our schools and that we are explicitly embedding that. We are do especially as senior leaders and head teachers, it is our role to ensure that our staff feel psychologically psychologically safe in our schools. And actually challenge is important. And what I love about coaching is it helps people change the narrative. I don't think it's because middle leaders can't do it. Um, I think it's because maybe there's no psychological safety. Um, and that's why the, the challenge might not be there. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. Uh, Those of you who don't know, psychological safety is just basically um, where you feel safe and secure enough to be able to talk to your leaders without the fear of anything coming back Mm. to you. Um, Iram's just messaged in (laughs) with a very good question because she says, can we confirm that the notes we are taking during coaching are informal? I mean, I'm going to be really honest. So instructional coaching is slightly different. Uh, to pure coaching which is more my experience and expertise but with pure coaching we never take notes I never take notes because um, because if you're saying it's confidential and somebody's you should be listening part of pure coaching is about listening and listening to listen and if we're making notes then uh, we've got that's a split attention effect for us as coaches so I would avoid I mean I always say to anybody I train as a coach do not take notes you can take notes afterwards but in that moment, avoid taking notes because that's another way to build trust. 
And part of trust is about body language and how we mirror, for example. And as part of my training course for coaches, we literally work on mirroring. How do you mirror? How do you build trust through body language? With instructional coaching with the ECF, um, can we confirm that the notes we take during coaching are informal? I, th- I think so. I mean, again, it's not my expertise. I'm going to be really honest with you. But um, I, as long as the coachee is your, your mentee is okay with that, I think that should be fine. And, you know, um, can you just explain to us um, in your context, Mm -hmm. what types of evidence have you seen from implementing this coaching, um, this coaching uh, style that you're using within your Mm -hmm. context? Oh, gosh, where do I start? Um, I just I have to say it's it was one of the best things I've ever done, particularly at Forest Community School, um, because the the. The coaches who we started with just it was it was it ended up being their program. It ended up being them who went away and told others, "You need to do this coaching program." At the beginning of the program, and I should say this: at the beginning, we ha- we only coached you know the senior leadership team because we really I believe that we should start with the leadership team so they know what the difference between coaching and mentoring is, um, and started with early adopters. But by the, by the time I left last year. And I hope Tamina Bacon, the head teacher at Forest Gate, would agree with this. We were we had people on a waiting list. <laughs> people wow. were really wary at the beginning, like, "Oh, what's this coaching? Oh no, I don't trust that person. Or I'm not sure about this. I think it's going to be. I don't. I think Yamina's. You know, Yamina says it's confidential, but is it really going to be confidential? And actually, what they found is the when I used to do, we did this. We do this um, end of term or end of program evaluation. So every time you've had your six sessions with your coach. I send. I would send out um, the coaching evaluation form, and I, I'm I'm not joking when I say this. The the overwhelming positive responses was moving, and I remember screenshotting some of the comments um, and sending it on a WhatsApp to Tamina Beg and going, "Tamina, I call her TB. TB, look at this." And we were just both so moved um, by the responses of it. And so I'm going to read out some if that's okay. Yeah, that's you know, good. Somebody said. The, pro- the coaching program helped me come to my goals and actions that would directly impact on my leadership practice. Somebody said, it made me feel more, better about myself and see the potential within myself. Um, another person said, I acted on my goals and the sessions motivated me to do more. This meant that I was able to raise my profile quickly because that was their, that person's goal. They wanted to raise their visibility as a, as a middle leader. Um, I now feel like I want to be, um, I really want to develop this great habit that I've started. Um, and it's always nice. <laughs> I love this comment. It's always nice when you're a productive teacher and leader. Um, and at the same time, I actually now feel better at work because I don't feel overwhelmed. Oh, that's so good. It was just so powerful. And, and somebody had said, another person said, you know, it's really helped me develop my teaching practice in the classroom. I think I'm a better teacher as a result. Because with this pure coaching program, it's what you want to focus on. So if you want to focus on your teaching learning, fantastic. Focus on the teaching learning aspect. If you want to focus on your developing your leadership and moving into senior leadership positions, that's what you can do. It's so bespoke to you. And that's why I love it because it's all with it. We believe, and I believe, pure coaching means that you're eliciting the brilliance within you. The solutions are within you, and the coach's job is to elicit that. It's to, you know, take that out of you and see you, right, and to see, so that you see your own potential. And I think that's why it's a, it's, it will continue because when people see the power within them, they realize that they can do anything, and then they go and pay it forward to others. So a lot of the coaches who started on the program have become coaches as a result.
because they want to pay it forward. It's just so powerful. I, mean, I don't even know if I answered your question. I'm so sorry. But... Yeah, you did. Don't <laughs> worry. Um, so, yeah, it, it basically, um, you know, you it's all about bespoke tailoring, making mm. sure it's uh, applicable to your context based on what your context needs are. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of school improvement, um, you know, you've just described formal peer to peer coaching conversations mm-hmm. um and I, I think one of the important things that uh, I always think about when uh, when I'm thinking about leadership is that you know it's this sense of personal responsibility as well mm. um what's your part you know when it comes to looking at the school improvement plan mm-hmm. as a middle leader or even a teacher within a department mm. how do you contribute to the organization's success so you know looking at the school's vision you know looking collectively as a middle leadership team you know why are we doing certain things if it doesn't improve school outcomes and you know having those grow coaching conversations mm-hmm. you know to make sure that we think about these kind of things um and you know leadership is going to be questioned when you are having Absolutely. those you know when you are having those conversations because you know that is I mean me personally I've always felt that professional critique and constructive dissent is really important for organizations mm-hmm. to grow but some leaders don't like that and I think that's where what you're saying about psychological safety is really important that you need to be able to trust your leaders and maybe those mm. leaders actually do need coaching Mm -hmm. for them to understand that in order for your organization to progress you need to allow these conversations to be taking place Mm -hmm. and it's creating those safe spaces and earlier you mentioned about time um and in the schools where we've where i've established it across a few schools now in newham you know time is always of the essence but anyway for teachers middle leaders senior leaders it doesn't matter what your position is in education time is really difficult to find so creating that time is really important and I know that um now obviously I'm not there at Forest Gate anymore but I know f- for a fact that Tamina and the team have actually as part of twilight sessions or after school sessions what coaches do is they they're given that time whereas before uh, when I when we were establishing it it was in their own time and it was part of the program that we were very explicit in saying to the coaches and the coaches if you would like to be part of this program then please be aware that you know it would mean giving up some of your that your PPA time or giving up some of your time and what we found at the beginning was that meant that the uptake was limited because obviously people are really struggling for time they're trying to plan their lessons they're trying to do their day-to-day job but then the more they gave time invested in themselves because I believe coaching is about investing in yourself the more they real the more they realized they were able to get more done because they were solving problems with their coaches you know oh yeah I've got this problem and I'm really struggling to do this thing and then all of a sudden the coach asks you a few questions and all of a sudden you're just oh oh yeah oh yeah I can do that and all and then what you've got is a more space and time to go and get the things that you need to get done done because you've had the time sorry to and space to reflect and I really like um I really like Andy Buck's method for mm-hmm. the basic coaching on this. Yes. Um those of you who haven't read his book, do read it. It is interesting. He goes on about um these seven powerful questions. Mm. And I've actually used those seven powerful powerful questions and basic coaching with uh within my own context. Okay. And it's really interesting when you are trying to change habits. Uh, and I'm gonna ask you a question in a minute because I, I'm taking notes as well here, Yamina. <laughs> um so for example, when you are changing habits um one of the things that he says is that it's important to ask them questions like okay when are you going to do it instead Mm. of i will so that Mm -hmm. you're asking very specific 
questions and also you're giving them smart targets as well like thinking about you know when are you going to implement this how is it going to be done and Andy Buck's coaching method goes into the basic model which you know talks about whatever challenge or professional um professional um problem that you have you go through the mm-hmm. background first you think about mm-hmm. what the aims are what the strategy you're going to use how you're going to implement it and what your commitment is going to be and it's a really simple coaching strategy I and I remember I did it with one one member of staff and she after that conversation she goes oh my god I feel so relieved <laughs> And it made me feel good because I didn't actually do anything apart from, like you said, ask her a few questions, throw a bit of mentoring in from different angles, Mm. um, going through that continuum between Mm. coaching and mentoring. Um, And then obviously, uh, like you said, you know, it was a good session for us because that psychological safety was there and the empathy was there. And I think sometimes, you know, uh, due to lack of time, leaders forget that you know that those safe spaces are important Mm. uh, in order for staff to be able to have those conversations and ideally this is what should be happening in line management meetings but sometimes in some schools it doesn't happen like that Um, I've got to say he's actually got a course sorry shout out to Andy Buck but he has a course online if anybody wanted to do the training course and it's really self-directed and you actually get you can practice using these skills and send it to Andy and then he gives you a certificate. It's great. Um, and um, Oh, I didn't know that. Yep, so you can practice tri- your actual coaching online? Yeah, and you you would do it and then you send him a video. The reason I say it's because I'm doing it at the moment because I okay. want to become a qualified basic um, coach. And it's okay. brilliant. It's called, the, I think it's called the basic model of teaching. I can't remember what the book's called exactly, but just type in Andy Buck. Someone's asking for the book. It's Andy yeah. Buck basic coaching model. Okay, thank you for that. Um, and so, like, um, if we go back uh, a step, mm-hmm. um, you know, let's go back to the uh, coaching, pure coaching uh, bit. You're mm-hmm. you're part of something called Resilient Leaders Elements Coaching. Yes. Can you explain what that is then? How is that different to everything that we're talking about mm. in terms of a school context coaching? Thank you. So, I mean, with Resilient Leaders Elements, it's an organisation that was founded by Jeremy Mead and Rachel McGill. Um, and kind of key part of it is that with with Resilient Leaders Elements, I'm a consultant, not a coach. I should clarify that. Is that we look at? I love it because it really clarifies what leadership is. I mean, it's on the basis that essentially to navigate the world, leadership skills are not about, and I'm, I'm reading this, but not about understanding a static framework from which to issue orders and direct activity, but with, you know, leadership is about an ongoing process of discovery, development, integration, designed to build the muscle memory, you need to step up and step in as required, whatever situation presents itself. And essentially leadership, they argue, is about resilience in this ever-changing world, because you will go on, on Part of leadership is about going from one thing to another because things are uncertain in leadership. So how do we build leaders that are resilient um, in that sense? So understanding what takes them from pressure to stress and knowing how to rebalance. That's what they, when when we talk about resilient leaders elements, that's what we mean by resilient leadership, that knowing what takes you from pressure to stress and also then how to rebalance. And what I love about this particular program is that it breaks leadership into these four kind of elements. So character direction, awareness, leadership presence and resilient decision making. And the consultancy course I did was about how do we utilize the program to essentially coach people to elicit the bullets within them. 
and it gives like I love it because it gives you like challenges based on how you self so you do the self-assessment on these four elements and there's lots lots of questions and then you can also get peer feedback on what people other people think so one Uh for example one of the statements for awareness um is I look after myself I rest re-energize renew and I know that I'm really rubbish at doing that so out of a scale of zero to 100 where do you place how often do you do this I put myself about let's be honest 40 percent right so then and you can get peer feedback on others and see what whether the way you've assessed yourself in these elements matches up with what others are saying and then it gives you these amazing challenges to work on it essentially and why I, I really love being consultant for, for this is because it's a very practical way of developing your skills so it's not just you know abstract it's very practical okay you don't look after yourself you don't rest re-energize when you fine here's a strategy where you've just got to sit for 30 minutes it's the worst thing ever by the way that challenge <laughs> i've actually got a coachee who's tried to do that challenge and she's just like i can't do it you know i can't do it um you just have to sit for 30 minutes and, and just yeah. sit there do nothing and what again with our release really practical and i think with coaching you know sometimes we we just sit and listen, which is absolutely important. And with instructional coaching and mentoring, we direct. But what about, it's essentially a virtual coaching program. Actually, uh-huh. that's the best way to describe it. And, uh-huh. and, the, and the founders of it just have done a brilliant job in, in creating new challenges that help you. And I swear, sometimes I feel like it's reading my mind. Like it knows uh-huh. what my issue is this week. And it will tell me to go and do just that. It forces you, so like if you've said that you're not very good at like your area of weaknesses, that like you don't talk about your weaknesses, then the challenge will be go and find somebody that you trust and tell them about three things that you're worried about or three things that you mm-hmm. want to work on. Um, and again, as coaches and p- with pure coaching, kind of using this model is really helpful because you can then direct your coachee to these are some of the strategies you could potentially use. But with pure coaching, if particularly somebody doesn't have the solution, what I like to do is give them options. Um, well, that's kind of T-grown model. You give, and, and the basic model, actually. Give them options of different strategies and ask them to pick one. So they still okay. have the power. The coaches still have the power. So, okay, um, that's fine. And I would always ask for permission. So, okay, Sobia, um, I've noticed that at the moment, maybe, is it okay? If I, I think I've got some strategies. Would you want to listen to three options that I've got? And you can pick one. And then Sobia says, okay, great. And then you give Sobia the three strategies. Sorry, I'm talking about you like you're not here. Um, sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay, I'm so still here. You, you give the person, you know, three options and then they get to pick it. So the power is still in their hands. Um, because as a coach, what you don't want is somebody to come back and say, hey, you told me to do this and it didn't work. <laughs> you know, whereas because you don't have the experience. I mean, I'm I'm really lucky to have a, a, a mentor with KPMG as part of Inspiration for All. She's, uh-huh. a, she's, a, she's a partner in KPMG. You know, she doesn't really understand about education, but the power of coaching is that by asking me questions, she's finding out more about my role. And same with me, I'm finding out more about what it means to be a partner at KPMG and supporting that through coaching. You know, and that's what I think is powerful about coaching. It's so, it can be domain specific, but it also can just be, by asking the right questions, help that person um, find the solution within themselves. So then um, just to clarify, so then you've got the coaching that takes place in schools and then you've yes. got executive coaching and leadership coaching, which is completely different, which is based on the individual uh, that is taking place with whatever issues or whatever mm. things they want to deal with themselves mm-hmm. uh, to ensure that they're um, making progress in their professional careers. Mm-hmm. Um 
how do you deal with staff who might be hesitant to coaching? Because mm. like you said earlier, there was this idea of you only needed coaching if you weren't very good, yeah, which is which is completely time. untrue. Yeah, if you're which is completely untrue. But how do you how do you deal with stuff? Let's just say that you are embedding this coaching culture within school mm-hmm. and we've talked about the early adopters, we all know how change management mm. works and everything exactly. like that. But what about those ones who do need coaching mm-hmm. and but they're so they're also resistant how do mm. we get them to get on board and actually take place and accountability um in terms of their personal responsibility of what they should be doing in their roles yeah um I've had many of those and and actually we did have it on the program where I, we knew that the this particular colleague or these particular colleagues could really benefit from the coaching program Mm -hmm. um but they weren't very resistance comes from for different reasons because everyone has different reactions to change and it's quite a scary thing actually if we really think about it you know what we're asking somebody to do is find it within themselves to look at the areas of development and work on those I mean it really is about selling that and I think again the person leading the coaching program has to be integral in that and building that relationship giving them a coach that one they respect and again I know that that sounds really a particular but a particular type of way but I do think part of building resistance is one making it really clear what the program is for and how it will help them mm-hmm. um Secondly, making sure that the, the po- there is positive word of mouth and positive ways in which people are communicating about coaching. Um, yeah. Finding lots of different ways to communicate the impact of coaching. So one of the things I did is I started a teaching learning briefing. I started a teaching learning coughing morning. Then I went into whole school twilight. And again and again and again, I was just around the school hearing people talking about it and actually saying to that person, why don't you talk about to this person about what they found about coaching? And mm-hmm. using that to really help them but also the power is in the coaching itself there will always be people who are resistant to change in that coaching session with their coach if the coach does a fantastic job sometimes not all the times sometimes the coachee themselves will say well I'm a bit resistant to this because I don't have the time for it like you're telling me that I need to be coached fine you're telling me I need to be on the program I don't even have the time for it and so you're stopping me from doing the things that I need to do to get better that's what somebody Mm -hmm. once said to me and I thought that was really interesting. And I, and I had to hear that. We have to hear that. We can't just be like, no, but you need coaching. We have to be creating those spaces where people can say that and say, actually, I don't have time. So we create that time for the person. We, we have to be adaptable in that sense to support because what we want to do is help everyone get better faster. That was a motto at Forest Gate, get better faster. And it came, came, you know, comes from Paul Bambrook's book, Get Better Faster. And there has to be, they have to see the power of that coaching themselves. And I think this is why having a space to be able to reflect and mm. the coach asks questions, what, what would you like to work on? You know, here's a goal. With somebody who maybe, you know, wanting needing to develop their practice in teaching learning, go into their classrooms so it is evidence-informed. It's not just, oh, yeah, but I heard this. It's based on your evidence as a coach. You're going in saying, okay, what did you... And that's kind of the instructional coaching program, I guess, which the ECF have adopted. You know, Um, here's a problem I noticed, or what did you notice was a problem in the classroom? Okay, so we're going to name it. We're going to then see what a success will look like if you were able to change this habit in the classroom. Say if it's questioning, to check for understanding. 
I noticed that you, you know, ask the question and then you give, you don't give wait time. Okay, so what can we do? Here's some strategies, here's some options. Which one would you like to pick? Which strategy do you think will work? Okay, let's practice it with instructional coaching. Let's practice it together and um, develop that practice together in a safe space. Let's do it a few times. Okay, next time when I come in, I expect, I want to see this, I'm excited to see you. And getting that buzz going so that they can see the improvements within themselves. Because if they don't see improvements, if they don't see that it's working, then of course they're going to continue to be resistant, like anybody with any sort of change. And so, um, obviously, I, I, you know, I, I have my, I have my leader say to me as well, he's given me a couple of leadership books. Um, I, it makes me, it does make me laugh uh, sometimes because, um, you know, sometimes people do throw uh, leadership books at you and say, hey, read this, this will help you. And I think they, there needs to be mm -hmm. this uh, proper line management and strategic way that yeah. you look at uh, how, we're, how we're line managing and coaching people, uh, mm -hmm. you know, in their roles and also to become better teachers because that's the, that's the point of it, to make sure that we are improving our practice Absolutely. regularly. Uh, and one of the things that I, I think that is important is that when you when you as a leader don't allow your staff to um, deal with the, the challenges on their own or allow them to come up with solutions on mm -hmm. their own and you then end up with this uh, this group of even middle leaders who become too dependent on you Absolutely. as a leader. How do you, what kind of coaching methods would you use to deal with those members of staff who literally are, they're not afraid, mm -hmm. but they're literally very, very dependent on you as a leader and they, they just won't go and do things on their own? I, I don't like to use the word afraid, but again, I'm going to go back to psychological safety because maybe they don't... I mean, this is a side note, but perhaps there's a, an element of, I'm not quite sure what to do because if I do this, what if I get in trouble? It could be that. I'm not saying it is that. It could be that. Some people do. And I, I know I'm that kind of person that I, I quite depend on my line manager. My line managers are amazing. Um, so I, And they're so experienced that I sometimes do go to them for solutions. But what I, I think works really well with coaching is, again, it's that TGO model or the basic model where you give a range of options and say, which one would you pick? Which one do you want to go with? So by providing those options, because they might, they might be depending on what that's right so give them the options and get them to choose and say right, right you're going to go and try it and next week or next time come back and tell me how it goes so the the onus is on them because that's what coaching is the ownership is on mm. you to go and try this out go and and what i love about coaching is that at the end of it you have to commit so yeah. you know on a scale of one to ten how like i was asked a question on a scale of one to ten how likely are you to do this and yeah. then asking okay so i'm on a seven you mean Okay, what could mm. get you to eight? What's stopping you from getting to eight or nine? Yeah. And then they'll tell you the truth. I don't have the time. Okay, so how are we going to, what could you do for yourself to create that time? Is, it, is this important? If it's not important, then it's not, it's not going to work. So if the person has come up with a, an action that they're going to do next week, but they themselves don't actually believe that it's going to work, what's the point? So I think it's about creating that space and getting people to commit um in in the in those instances i think for me uh, obviously i because i lead on the tech side so for me um i use some of the practices that i am being taught uh, exactly as you've outlined but then i'm also using um other methodologies because in tech development 
we've got our own coaching processes as well so we've got mm. something called design thinking and that's basically a methodology for designing new products and processes uh, if we're you know working towards uh, implementing a solution um and then the other type of um coaching we have is called uh, samr which is basically it just stands for substitution augmentation modification modification and redefinition it's just basically having a structured framework for identifying mm. challenges so we're, we're literally doing the same thing we're gathering information we're generating potential solutions we're redefining ideas and then we're testing them as well because that's what we do in tech mm. um so it, it's a very similar mm. way of um of coaching but it just uses slightly different techniques before you go today, I just want to pick your brains because this is something that I've been thinking about for years and I have seen it on Twitter recently. It's come up again. Video coaching. What are your thoughts on that? I do it all the time. It's the best. Yeah. Um, I think um, I actually had a coachee who over lockdown, I coached via Zoom and yeah. they found it really useful and there's no reason why it doesn't work and it couldn't work. And actually it's so powerful but it, it just means, and actually the second group of coaches I trained at Forest Gate and across the CST, the Community Schools Trust, Matt, last year was uh -huh. during lockdown. <laughs> so, and, and what we did is we talked about what happens when you're face-to-face -face coaching. How do you build trust and rapport face-to-face? -face, but how do you build trust when you're online? And so being really clear about the differences and the different ways in which you can build trust and, um, and rapport in a coaching session, both via Zoom, via, you know, sorry, via video, cause but also live and as a trainer it's really important to make that really clear because I found it so powerful and uh, it's been so powerful because I'm not just connecting with people who I can see face to face but I'm able to then we are able to as coaches then impact and influence others across the country so I've coached mm. people in in you know Scotland I've coached people in Ireland it, mm. it's just brilliant and also you know you're then connecting yeah yeah I love it <laughs> have you have you ever coached um recording video so have you ever done recorded lesson video coaching type of coaching where you record the person and you observe together in a group what's going on yeah one of my uh, job roles as part of when I was at Forest Gate um yeah. was to be in charge of Iris I don't know if you know it yeah uh, I've heard yeah. of Iris so I was the person who was implementing that for the first time at school and again mm. there was a lot of resistance like what is this you're gonna have a camera <laughs> felt a bit big brother um but again did the union about... get involved in that <laughs> no because it's about how you sell it right it's about how yeah. you build trust and so again we, I, I was also in charge of the professional um I was a professional mentor so I was the okay. leader of all the early career teachers all the ITT and the PGCE students so yeah. I was able to start with them I started with yeah. people I, I had already built a relationship with who trusted yeah. me and their mentors what they had to do, what I did and what their mentors did is they got the opportunity they said this is the lesson I'd like to record this is the one I want to start with and then um so they recorded themselves with their mentor in with their mentor out they did live coaching via um with something in their ear like they recorded yeah. it brilliant and so they there was different stages of that and again it's about trust oh hang on can I just go can we go back one step did yeah. you just say you tried live remote coaching uh, via the ear 
in Airfield. I can't. Oh my god, how was that? that? It was really fun. Like honestly, they said it was. Full. It's called real time in air. That's coaching. the one. That's the one. Thank you. Um, so we actually had that, and the mentees first at the beginning they would say, "Oh my god, it's really stressful having someone in your ear. It feels like a TV producer, right? You're a presenter. That's what they felt like." But then, as the more they did it, the more they realized how impactful it was that live coaching of because the person was their mentor would be seeing it on the video they were yeah. in a completely different room and yeah. then they would say and I, I have to give them a shout out it was Iman uh, Mahmoud at Forest Gate who is now the lead pack at Forest Gate for English yeah. and leading on the coaching program actually and her mentee at the time Taylor and they would they were both in English and it was just the best watching them so I, I would watch Iman life coach <laughs> Taylor and we would be in the English office and she would say, okay, now, Taylor, say it like this. Like, say this. <laughs> and Taylor would say, oh, and there's a two-second delay. Taylor would say, and yes, remember, and she, you need to do this. And she'd repeat directly. And what Taylor found, what, you know, this mentee found was that there and then she was improving. There and then she was implementing yeah. the strategy that her mentor was had yeah. been talking about. But did the kids pick up on that? Good, like obviously, if there was a delay and that <laughs> happening in reality, that someone's in your ear and you can't concentrate because you're watching the behaviour of the kids, you're teaching. How yeah. does that all work? I mean, it works really well. I'm not going. I think the children had no idea um, because our mentees were so good at it by the end. <laughs> um, oh, but it was just. It is. I, I do think again, it's all about the way in which you build that trust and making Mm -hmm. it really clear what it's being used for and but the mentee did not have to share it unless they wanted to by the way yeah if it was recorded then it was you can share it you don't have to share it and there was again it's all about the ownership it's all about the trust um they could delete it once they recorded it they watched it themselves sometimes it was self-assessment watch it give feedback then I had we, yeah. we I created centralized line management like centralized me- mental meeting minutes so okay. they, they could add in oh this is what I noticed about myself this is what I'd like to work on but then yeah. th- that was something that like it's a bit like what happens now in with instructional coaching where you talk and discuss your issue or your your key strategy so you know the impact that you're talking about clearly it had an impact because you could actually change uh, the practice of a mm. teacher as you were going through it Absolutely. um like did, how did that feed into i mean was there some sort of formal process that you fed into for the school improvement plan or yeah. the departmental development plan how did that that all come about yeah so the first year when i proposed it coaching was not part of the school development plan but um mm-hmm. Then when we formalised the process and I trained up the we trained up the coaches and um, it was actually part of the school development plan. It was something that Tamina and the school really believed in. Um, yeah. And the more they saw the power of it, I'm not going to lie, we, there was a bit of hesitancy at the beginning, but the mm. more we've seen the power of it, the more you know, it's actually become a really established part of what they do mm-hmm. at Forest Gate, what we do at Sarah Bernal as well. And those are both the schools and and that, you know a few other schools that I've worked across. It's become established because people are continuing to drive it. People see the value in it. And that and that's the point, isn't it? That I'm not there still, but it's yeah. still going on. That's a legacy yeah. that I'm quite proud of. And and it, you know, Iman who's who's leading on it at Forest Gate and Kira who's leading on it at Sarah Bernal, those are you know, they're brilliant people to continue that work. So yeah. it's if we really do our job well as coaches and, and leaders of that, then we that's our legacy. You know, it should be our, our legacy. It should be something that continues. It's part of the school development plan. And I, again, I would say it again, I think every school should have free coaching as part of, you know, their provision and as part of their school development plan. It should be something that is 
tracked, is monitored and is evaluated in terms of impact. And it's what we do across the schools that I've worked in and I currently work in. And I, I've seen it firsthand and so have those organisations too. Yamina, thank you so much for coming on to the thank show you. today. We've gone into so much information and I, I, I'm really sorry, Peaches, that you were uh, struggling to keep up. We were sorry. both so excited about talking um, that I, I have lost track of time as well. Um, Yamina, where do you see, I mean, obviously you've got uh, loads of coaching happening within your school context. Mm-hmm. You've done it for many, many years in different schools. Mm-hmm. You're, you're doing executive coaching, leadership coaching. Where do you see like what's your next path and you know uh, where do you see yourself going next in terms of how you want to progress yeah oh what a great question exactly what I'm thinking about you know I have said in the past that I'm looking into headship but I'm I'm not quite sure about that yet because I think my number one love is coaching and developing staff and I'm really thinking about how I can do that as a job okay. <laughs> um, maybe and I love what I'm doing right now because as an assistant head teacher I get to impact on the middle leaders that I get to work with it's part of my job role actually middle leadership development and um, developing progress leaders so I, I'm really excited about that but I am thinking about how to develop more as a coach and get to do that as a kind of a bigger part of what I do in schools and outside of schools as well because there's just so much power in coaching and if we can all be embedding that in our schools then we've done something right I really believe that and just to finish off um credit to you I've had Iram message in saying Yamina was coaching me during lockdown the reason why it was successful because it was external she wasn't being instructed by anyone she was compassionate and I could trust her the impact um is great because she's currently doing the lead practitioner accreditation and she just wanted to thank you in public Yamina for all the work that you've supported her with and I think that's a lovely note to end with Um, thank Thank you so much for coming on. I know I know you had a very, very busy weekend, so I am very, very grateful that you've come on today. Um, and hopefully we'll be in touch soon with you again. Thank you, Yamina. Thank it's you. been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Bye, everyone. Right. Take care. Bye. Right. Okay. Um, sorry for keeping you guys hanging on for so long. We're going to go over to the news and then we'll be back. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondlelettersandsounds.org.uk Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. 
Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure that Bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are Witherslack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. report in the Evening Standard covers the news that Eton College will open state six forms in towns in the north of England and the Midlands. The schools will be opened in Dudley, Middlesbrough and Oldham and will help students to get into Oxbridge and other top universities. The three areas are included in the list of 55 education cold spots that have been targeted for additional support by the government's levelling up agenda. It comes as part of a partnership with Star Academies. Higher achieving pupils at GCSE who are from poorer backgrounds will be encouraged to gain top A-level grades. Eton will bid in the next wave of the government's free schools programme, with colleges expected to welcome their first pupils in 2025. In the Gambia, UK-based charity Binti Period revealed its plans to introduce menstrual pads into the Gambia so that all girls have access. The charity believes that this would further ensure that girls do not drop out of school during puberty. In a meeting with the First Lady of Gambia, the charity also explained how it had embarked on a programme to train 100 teachers in the Gambia on menstrual education. The objective is to smash the stigma and shame attached to menstruation, but the training also covered other issues including polygamy, FGM and sexual grooming. Online lessons are to be made available to 100,000 refugee pupils said Education Secretary Nadim Zahawi. He was speaking at the Association of School and College Leaders annual conference in Birmingham. He stated, we are working with schools to ensure that the tens of thousands of Ukrainian children we will welcome to our shores will have a place in our education system. The lessons will be made available through Oak National Academy via an auto-translate function available in both Ukrainian and Russian. Matt Hood, Principal of Oak National Academy said, the work we have done to make Oak's lessons available in Ukrainian is only a tiny contribution to this crisis, but it is a tool that may help them re-establish some sort of routine once they reach safety. Finally, this week saw the annual recognition of International Women's Day, but a story in Schools Week reports that many colleges have had to defend themselves after a Twitter bot called them out for hypocrisy. Organisations across the UK came under fire after the gender pay gap bot retweeted their posts honouring the day with details added about their figures on women's median hourly pay compared to men's. Numerous colleges fell victim with some deleting their original posts. 
In response, some colleges have said that context should be considered. For example, Furness College in Cumbria, where women's median hourly pay is 32.4% lower than men's hourly rate, told FE Week that their gap was high because a large number of female staff are in lower skilled jobs. The Fawcett Society campaigns to close the gender pay gap and agrees that the divided labour market, where women are still more likely to be in low paid and low skilled jobs, is a reason for the gap, but says that inequalities and discrimination in the labour market must be reduced if things are to improve. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to talk timers. After being challenged to make a timer with shapes in PowerPoint, I thought I'd throw out a quick tip for the most common presentation software used in teaching. Microsoft PowerPoint and Google Slides. The easiest way to add a timer is embedding a YouTube timer video. In Google Slides, it's easy. Simply click on the insert menu and select video. You'll then be given the option to search YouTube. If you didn't know already, YouTube is full of timer videos. So type in the timer you want, for example, five minute timer, and you'll be given a list of videos to choose from. Select the one you want and it will embed. Finally, use the video format options to determine whether you want it to play on a click, start automatically or manually. Job done. You can also do this in PowerPoint, but you'll need to search YouTube first to find your video as you'll need the video's URL. If you're not a geek, that's the big long www address. Now you've got the address, select insert video and online video. Paste in the address and it will embed. Again, you can decide how it plays back in the playback menu. For both these methods, you need to be connected to the internet for them to work, but usually you will be. For this week's visual version, I'll retweet my example of the shape timer from last week and add a short tutorial demonstrating the methods I've just described. So don't forget to check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Right, welcome back everybody. Um, as I was saying earlier, I haven't been on uh, live air for four to six weeks. So uh, it's been uh, strange being back on, but it is just like riding bikes. So I've been uh, happy to be back on. Um, just a quick shout out to Freya, who's been tweeting this morning. And one of her tweets made me laugh. Um, Psychological safety is so important in schools. Challenge is important. Yes, TTR. So thank you for that comment. <laughs> Um, we've got Khalib coming up next. We've also got uh, Khalil coming up afterwards and we've got Kaylee this afternoon as well. Um, uh, just a quick shout out to Tom HB and also to Flora Cooper, who are also our hosts. Um, if you are interested in coaching, it'll be really interesting to listen into their shows as well, because Tom HB will be doing um, a session on the difference between coaching and mentoring. And I'm hoping he's going to go into lots of details for uh, ECTs about what the difference is and when you should be receiving each type of um, uh, method within uh, within your context. Um, and also, it'll be nice uh, to see what Flora does um, based on school coaching and what's happening uh, across different organisations as well. So do listen into those shows. I will be listening back as well. Um, does teacher coaching lead to school improvement? The answer is yes. Um, uh, there is a hype uh, for coaching, but I think sometimes uh, the reality is that sometimes it may not go accordingly to plan. So like Yamina was saying, make sure you start off um, small. 
I know within my own context when I'm doing um, when I'm doing tech stuff, embedding ed tech stuff, uh, it does take time and uh, it does take time for people to trust you as well. And there are lots of things that come into factors, uh, different competing agendas, um, uh, dealing with different change management issues, making sure your SLT is in bo- on board, making sure the staff are on board. Uh, it's quite a complicated process. So you do want to start off small and then transition out to bigger things. I'm going to leave it there for today. Unfortunately, I'm going to be uh, doing slightly uh, shorter shows uh, for the next few weeks. Um, The reason being is that I am overloaded with a lot of work right now just like I'm sure all of you are as well. I really do appreciate to everyone who does listen in. Um, It's been a great show with uh, Yamina today. Uh, Sorry to Peaches, who thought we were talking slightly too fast. I think we both were a bit excited about coaching uh, and we'll try and slow down for the next show. Other than that, I hope everyone is well um, and take care and I will see you in two weeks time. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.